folks, Machine Repeat here. Welcome to our Machine Repeat podcast, episode number 40. Can't believe we've had 40 of these discussions already. It uh, goes by fast, doesn't it? Holy smokes. Almost end of 2021 here. Uh, just want to thank you for listening to our Machine Repeat podcast and watching our YouTube videos and I guess our Machine Repeat TV show out there. Uh, AgriTalk Radio every Monday. Uh, great fun trying to bring you the market news, what's happening out there. I greatly appreciate all your feedback and support across everything in our Machine Repeat business that we're doing. I think today on the podcast, uh, you're going to enjoy this conversation. Honestly, it's with one of my favorite folks that I've met in my 32 years uh, building our Machine Repeat business. Uh, you know, some people you run across, they, they just have a, a different take. There, there's just something about them that's a little different in a in a, a way that kind of pulls you in. You want to learn more, you're, you're intrigued. And if we talk ag lenders, which of course uh, one of the you know the sectors that helped me start 32 years ago with our little auction price book, I think we got up to a point we had over 600 ag lenders that subscribed to our to our book and then our website back in the early days of the internet. But I tell you, Alan Hoskins, who is the president and uh, national sales director of American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services, is one of my favorite folks to talk to, and. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. I've been teasing Alan. I've been meaning to have him on for years on the podcast here. I'm so glad it worked out. I caught him at the American Bankers uh, Convention. Uh, he was kind enough to give us some time. And one of the things that I'm intri- I was intrigued to talk to him about was just the topic of listening, which now on the one hand you might say, well, what, what does that have to do, machine repeat, with egg lending? But, you know, as I get older here, and I mean, I'm almost 56 in a couple of weeks here, to, to my way of thinking, listening is everything. I mean, it's just everything. I mean, the, the cute way of saying it is God gave us two ears and one mouth. Which, that's true. But I think no matter where you're, you're at out there, you know, what you think about our culture, our politics, I mean, we're obviously we're at each other's throats and that whole thing. But people, we're not listening to each other. We're just not. And it's to our detriment. And... As I've got older, I mean, listening, there are just opportunities inherent every direction. When you spend time and truly listen, not at a surface level, and it does take a different different uh, approach. I mean, we're also busy, you know, cell phones, and whoops, I got 10 more emails, and uh, I got eight texts. And, yep, we're all swamped. But, Again, to our own detriment to the extent that we don't take the time to stop and listen, whether it's to our friends or to new people that we run across. And Alan and I, years ago, just connected out at an auction. And I have learned so much from talking to this guy over the years. And I I hope you're going to, well, I know you're going to enjoy our conversation. And just one little thing on the topic of listening that I'll leave you with. And honestly, I can't remember if I've shared this life truth or not, but I'll just be real with you. Uh, you know, people now, they see, oh, Machine Repeat, you, you've been on TV 14 years, your own show nine years, you're on radio, I mean, did live Bloomberg TV today, all this stuff. Yep, it's cool, it's fun. But if you wind this back for me, as a kid growing up in West Central Minnesota, I was the shyest kid through high school I think there could be. It, it was tough for me. I, I knew I had a problem. It was tough for me. To, to interact. I, I don't know why that was, but it just kind of was. Um, kind of slowly 
as I got older through college, it started to get a little better. Obviously, I prayed about it a lot. But one of the interesting things building our machine repeat business over the years, as I was, you know, I'm sitting in my basement recording this. I've been sitting in my basement for 32 years now. That's when I started, November 1989, 32 years ago this month. But as I started to wander out to cover auctions and interact with the farm farmers and lenders and dealers, and I just almost by accident started to find that out of my own insecurity of, you know, finding it challenging to interact, that at a personal level, if I'm if I meet you from a technique standpoint, because it was difficult for me to talk, it sounds stupid, but I found that if I would ask you questions, it changed the whole dynamic. It changed everything. Because on the one hand, I'm truly interested in your farm, in your tractor, in that whatever you have to say. I mean, I just, I try to be a sponge. What can I learn from you? Um, But on the other hand, if I didn't have to drive the bus, the conversation, and I wasn't able to back then when I was a young guy, it got better over the years. I think we all can, you know, that truth of that things do get better, whatever your challenge is, is true. It, it can get better. And I just found listening to just be so valuable. And again, I thank all the folks over the years, whether it's out at a farm show or an auction or I'm speaking somewhere and get a chance to visit with people. I thank you for sharing your truths and your stories. Uh, you know, you've given me so many stories to share. Um, so anyway, my friend Alan Hoskins, president of American Farm Mortgage, he, I think he's like the best listener that I've run across. And it's so it's so fascinating to me for an egg lender to bring that to the table. So I, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation, folks. So let's bring in our guest now, Alan Hoskins, president and president and national director of sales for American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services. Proper tire inflation is important, especially as you spend time out in the field this harvest season. Opinions can vary about the best tire pressure for different situations, but as seasoned growers know, using the wrong tire inflation pressure can be a costly mistake. To maximize the longevity and performance of your tires, Firestone Ag created tools and resources to ensure you're using the right tire pressure for your equipment. Experience benefits like larger footprint, reduced tire slip, and longer tire life by utilizing these resources. And get the most out of your tires this harvest season. Visit FirestoneAg.com to explore the tire pressure calculator, view the helpful inflation table, and learn about the seven-step tire check. Hey, folks, I want to welcome our guest to the Machine Repeat podcast, my good friend Alan Hoskins uh, with American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services. Alan is the president and national director of sales out of Evansville, Indiana. Alan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Greg. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I, I need to apologize, Alan. I've been meaning to have you on since day one of our Machine Repeat podcast because, honestly, and I'm not just saying this because you're on right now, there, there's nobody, nobody that I enjoy talking to more in the whole space of agriculture than you, my friend. So um, I appreciate you taking time. I know you're busy. Um, now, before we get rolling here, Alan, I'm trying to remember – how did we meet? Did we meet at a – was that the Polk auction or was it before that? I, I'm so old no, and gray, I lose track. No, you're exactly right, Greg. We met up at uh, one of Jeff Polk's auctions. Gosh, it's been I think about seven or eight years ago now. Okay. We were watching some classic tractor sell and we just kind of got to 
kind of got to jabber in there, didn't we? Absolutely, absolutely. You uh, you were up there doing the story, and uh, had a lot of respect for you for the work you've done over the years. You were kind enough to take some time and visit with me, and it's uh, I think been a good relationship on both sides. Oh well, hey, I I've enjoyed uh, you know your time. You guys had me down to your American Farm Mortgage booth at the National Farm Machinery Show a few years ago. The last time we came out with a auction price book, um, just down there talking to farmers and. Um, yeah, let's let's tell people a little bit about American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services here, Alan. You've been president for how long now? I've been president of American Farm since 2013. 13, okay. And American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services is owned by, is it Legions Bank? Yes, it's Legions Bank. It's uh, we're, Our bank is based out of El Rito, Illinois, but we have, gosh, Greg, uh, need to go back and look and see how many locations we do have today. I think about 14 in both Southern Illinois and Southern Indiana. Okay. And we're, we're a true community bank. We're still uh, family owned and have some uh, employees that also own some of the bank. And we still understand that uh, banking the old fashioned way is not necessarily a bad thing at all, Greg, but right. also we, we do bring the technology into it and try to make sure that we're listening to what the customers really want, trying to make sure that we serve their needs first, because if we take care of them, then the, the company does all right. Right. Well, you and I have talked to Alan uh, over uh, a dinner, uh, just, you know, at a farm show, at an auction, but uh, the personalness of the whole agricultural space, whether that's the farm equipment business, <coughs> excuse me, lending, it's kind of unique, isn't it, how in a different age and different culture that's still very personal. <coughs> Excuse me. So I imagine, I've always felt like you kind of enjoy that, you know, the personalness of, of getting to know the customer. Absolutely, Greg. The, the personal interaction, honestly, that's what gets me up in the morning, and that's why I truly love what I do from the perspective of being able to help people transition farms to next generation or being able to see them acquire some land or a new piece of equipment. And Greg, I think the thing to me that is so cool about agriculture is you sit down with someone and I've seen you do this with people on the equipment side and you're so good at it. But the, you sit down with a farmer and you say, tell me the story about your farm. No. In, in asking that question with genuineness, because truly, I do love to hear how families came to own their farm sure. and how the many generations sacrificed in many cases so the present generation is able to do what they're doing. And it's a privilege and honor to be able to help people do that. Man, I mean, I've seen you in action, Alan, doing that. Uh, I call it active listening. But, uh, yeah, you... I think you've identified something there that is very powerful and, and maybe it's a commentary on our culture that maybe, you know, it seems like everyone kind of talk at each other these days. But when you actually flip it and say, yeah, tell me about your farm or mm -hmm. tell me about your John Deere 4020 and then listen, mm -hmm. I think the person that you ask, even if they wouldn't identify it maybe on the spot – they like the fact that you asked and were intently listening, don't you think? Yes, absolutely, Greg. Because so, I think in many cases today in society, if you observe a conversation, what you're really watching is having two people play a verbal game of ping pong. Right. 
they're just responding to each other. And in, I hate to say it, but so few times anyone's really listening to what's being said. Right. And, and I think the importance of everyone's important. Everyone has a story that they, they need to be heard. Right. And I, I think in today's world that maybe one of the best things that we can do for someone else is just make sure that we listen to what they say. Right. Because it, unfortunately, it just isn't as prevalent as it used to be. Right. Yeah, I, I've had a reaction over the years. Ellen, maybe it's just all the years being at auction. So you're standing out in the cold or the heat or whatever, and it's, you know, two, three, four hours back in the old days when they'd have six hay racks up front of the sale. It would get to be a long day. But when you're talking to people, you can always tell when you're in a conversation, some people look like they just, they're kind of waiting for their turn to say what's, but when that's not the case, and if you ask me about, you know, my farm and I'm sitting there telling you and it's like, this guy is really interested. He's asking follow-up questions. It, it's sad that that stands out as being so different, but I, I think it does. And the other piece, you and I have talked about this, but, you know, and I know you don't do it for that purpose, but I mean, it, it's just just good business to listen to customers or potential customers. Don't you think? Sure. Oh, absolutely, I do. And Greg, I need to give you a lot of credit because I remember watching you about four years ago down at the farm show at Louisville. And you stood in line, or people stood in line to talk to you for about 30 minutes. I very well remember this couple that came up. And I wasn't eavesdropping, but I was close enough that I could hear. And Greg, you, you listened to the story about how the husband got a new tractor and the because the husband got a new tractor, the wife got a new washer and dryer. And early on in the conversation, they mentioned the dog they had, and they mentioned the dog's name. At the end of that conversation, you talked to him for about 20 minutes. You repeated the dog's name back to them. You truly were hearing what they said. And I thought, wow, what a great lesson I learned that day. Well, I, I, I just am honored to, to hear those stories, and uh, oh, I'm so appreciative of meeting people and their willingness to share. The other thing I find kind of fascinating, Alan, and I'd be curious to get your take, but your customer base, and and by the way, you're, you guys have farm customers. We'll talk about it in a bit here, but literally all over uh, the U.S. But if we zero in on the Midwest, our customers, you know, they're not soapbox people. They don't tend to go around telling stories about themselves. But I have found that when you listen, even up here in Minnesota, you know, stoic Scandinavians who are, you know, 20 years older than me, you know, kind of crusty, if you get them, hey, Charlie, tell me, what was your favorite tractor? And it, the openness that follows it is kind of breathtaking in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, Rick, it goes back to something you said earlier. It's once they see the genuineness that you're not doing it for a business reason. Yeah. You're doing it because you legitimately want to hear the story. And I can remember a customer that I sat down with him and, you know, ask about just different things. And, and I don't know, about an hour and a half into the conversation, the wife looked at me and she said, may I ask you something? I said, yes, maybe you can ask me anything. She said, why are you asking us these questions? 
And I said, well, I said, it's because I genuinely want to understand how important things are to you. And I need to understand what things are important to you because this isn't about me. This is about you and your farm. And she looked at me, she said, you know, I don't think we've ever had anyone ask some of these things before. Hmm. And Greg, I don't, I don't see that story because I want any credit or anything like that. But I've, I've used that story before with some younger lenders and said, look, don't try to replicate what I do, but figure out how you can make a difference to someone and truly listening I think is a great way to make a difference. Now, once you get the information, you have to figure out the way to use that to help the customer right. get what they need. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll give, give you another little example here, Alan. I, and it just took me a long time to figure out in my own personal case. And I, I, I like what you said there about, you know, we can't be phony in this listening. I mean, you have to be yourself. But for me, when I when I was growing up, I was like, and I've shared this before, but I mean, I was beyond painfully shy. I, I had lots to say, but I, I didn't quite have the, whatever, the maturity. I, I just, I was stuck. And as I built the business over the years, I found that if I would, when I would ask questions and get people talking, I didn't have to drive the bus conversationally. Now, I was in Maryland a week and a half ago. We were filming an auction for our TV show. And a young couple came up. They were from uh, Connecticut. Now, I'm from Minnesota. But we're chit-chatting. And they mentioned to me, we're just talking. I'm like, tell me about your farm, just like just like you do. And they grow tobacco, 11 acres of tobacco in Connecticut. Now, that fascinated me because I didn't know you could grow tobacco in Connecticut. And the gal sent me 20 pictures, which we're going to present in our TV show. But all of that is born out of what you were doing with your your customers. You just listen and ask questions, and where it can lead is is kind of breathtaking sometimes. Well, all the time. It is. And Greg, one of the things that I think is so cool, typically, that when you start trying to understand their background and where they're coming from, the pride that they have in that farm and, and I don't mean pride in a bad way mm-hmm. but I mean the true pride they have in what they do in helping feed the world and right. the pride they have in the way that they are working to take care to be able to pass it on to the next generation that's so much fun to me to see that come out of people because you're right most most egg producers are the ones that they want to be in the background and you, you hear all these stories, and I love every fall seeing the stories about a neighbor was sick or a neighbor passed away. I don't, don't love that part, obviously. Right. But you see these stories and how there will be many combines that will show up and semis. And Greg, the thing, that I, the thing that I always find amazing in those stories, I've never seen one of those stories where – the names of all the people were listed that did that. Right. And I think it's genuinely because they don't want the notoriety. They don't want the credit. Yep. They just want to help someone else 
when they can. Right. Now, Alan, I, I have to bring this into the conversation before I forget. And I, this, is, this is one of the examples that, that really, as we got to know each other over the years, spent more time talking and visiting, this just came up organically, but it, it honestly blew my socks off. And it, it fits, I think, in, on this topic of listening, because in listening, truly listening, I've always felt that opportunities are going to appear right and left. Now, you shared the story, and we were just talking, maybe having dinner one night, and you'd had a customer with the bank there who it was a medical emergency in, in rural, you know, Indiana or Illinois there, and, you know, case where the medical helicopter had to come in and fly it to the regional center. But your take on that you saw an opportunity to make a dip, to just pick it up from there. Tell, tell folks what happened. Sure. We, uh, unfortunately I didn't find out about it until a little bit after it happened, but these folks were, they, they were very blessed in the respect that they had good health insurance, but they still had at that time, it was a $20,000 bill to cover. And I thought, wow, you know, that can that can happen to any of us, and so with within our organization, we said, "What can we do to maybe help people with something like this?" And we came up with an idea that what we did with folks that were doing business with us at a certain level, we basically bought an insurance premium that would cover them and their family regardless of where the accident occurred or what happened that precipitated the need, that basically that cost over and above what their insurance would pay would be taken care of. Hmm. Wow. Because, again, it's, you know, we hear the stories about the medical and, and we think many times that, well, it's a person who unfortunately maybe lost their job, wasn't insured. But that wasn't the case here. So yeah. it, it really opened my eyes to an unquantified risk that our folks had. Right. And we received a lot of thank yous for that. And I bet. Fortunately, you know, fortunately, Greg, I don't believe to date, and I'm really glad to say this, we've never had anyone had to use that. Sure, sure. But we sure have had a lot of people that said, you know, thank you for doing that. Well, there's another thing there, Alan. Again, I just tip my hat to you for... One, for seeing something that could be better on behalf of your clients, your customers. Now, the second part of that is, and I'm guilty of this, I think we all are, but there's one. it's one thing to think it, oh, I should do this. It's a whole other can of worms to see it through and make it happen. And that's, I know that's, that's up your alley is uh, executing. So, again, that's off. That, to me, that's just a, a simple but powerful example of just paying attention to a way to help your clients it's 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 fantastic thank you for saying that greg you know honestly i had kind of forgotten about you and i having that conversation now that you say that i know exactly where we were we were down in san antonio but we had that ah san antonio okay gotcha and i, and I had forgotten about that but well yes so let's, thanks for bringing that up well i i'll never forget i, I like i say i was I was blown away by, by that little kernel of truth that came out. I, I couldn't, I was just fascinated by the, 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 I mean, it was brilliant on a business level, but done for your behalf of your customers was fantastic. 
So let's wind this back just a little bit now, Alan. Now you're mm-hmm. you're you're an active farmer. You uh, yes. can you tell us a little bit about your your operation there? Well, I, you know, Greg, I, I don't do a whole lot. Just you know, candidly, I'm not a big farmer by any stretch of the imagination. But agriculture is my passion. I grew up on our family farm that I'm very proud to say was land granted to our family by the United States. Where, where is that, Alan? It is in southern Illinois. It's right outside of a little town called Norris City, Illinois. Norris City, got it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Greg, I had, there's nothing any more relaxing to me than being in a tractor, being in a combine. And it's just amazing I'll call it clarity that I have when I'm doing that. And truly agriculture is a passion. It's a way of life. Now, don't get me wrong, it's still a business. But I am so blessed to, and the older I get, I'm 57. Some days I still believe I'm 17. I can do anything (laughs) I used to. But I am so incredibly blessed to have grown up on a farm and you know my dad passed away about six years ago Mm. you know my dad was absolutely great in that he let me have the opportunities to fail on the farm when i was growing up in trying things you know you're you're 13, 14 years old and you're trying to fix something because he knew that what I was doing wasn't going to work out right. But he had the wisdom, Greg, to kind of show me if it was going to be a big problem before it became a big problem. But he gave me the wisdom of allowing me to fail where I could fail safely. And, you know, just growing up and being exposed to being able to weld or to do electrical work, drive tractors, combines, all those things. It, you know, it was just, I feel, as I said, so incredibly blessed to have that background in my life. Now, if I ping you for your favorite or your favorite tractor when you were growing up on the farm there, Alan, what, uh, what springs to mind? Without a doubt, uh, without a doubt, it was a John Deere 4020. 4020. Remember what year yes. it was? Uh, yes. <laughs> kind of an interesting story uh, behind that. There's a few things in life that we look back at and say, well, I wasn't very bright. Uh, it was actually owned by our neighbor. Okay. Uh, but it was the first John Deere tractor I ever drove. Okay. And we grew up, when I grew up, we had Oliver's. Now, when, when I got to the point that I started buying, uh, you know, I just, for some reason, ended up choosing John Deere's. But, Greg, I remember that 4020, so 1967 power shift, first John Deere I ever drove. And I had a chance to buy it from our neighbor at an auction a few years later. Okay. And had it redone and had a gentleman that uh, was interested in buying it and uh, this was before equipment really kind of started to take off to the degree that it has, particularly the 4020s. Yeah. <laughs> and he uh, expressed an interest in buying it, and unfortunately, Greg, I priced it. <laughs> oh, once you price it. <laughs> and he said yes. Uh, <laughs> and you know, so, well, you know what, Alan? That, that's another one of those uh, learning from our failures, I guess. <laughs> 
you're exactly right. And, you know, it's still in the area. Right. And I've gone back to him and I've said, you know, I made a mistake in selling you that tractor, but I said, I'm glad it's you that has it. But by the way, if you ever do want to sell it, I I would like to buy it back. Hey, while we're on the topic of 4020s, I got to get you to share, Alan, uh, a little tale we've uh, shared over the years. Uh, you 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 come at ag lending uh, like as you, and listeners you can tell I mean Alan it's it's in his DNA farming and machinery which we're going to talk more machinery here but you were out west wasn't Nebraska or Kansas and you were talking to a farmer and the forty twenties came up can you share that story sure uh, I was in Nebraska with an agent that we have out there and we were meeting this farmer looking at how we could help him from a financing perspective and. You know, again, show me your farm. And so we're kind of walking around and we go through the, the shop or shed where he has the equipment. And so we're walking through and I said, wow, that's a really nice looking 4020. I said, uh, you know, I like those. He said, yeah, I do too. And I said, uh, you know, that one, I kind of remarked him. I said, you know, with it being a 68 model, he said, how did you know that was a 1968 model? And I said, well, it has a square manifold and it has the hydraulics on the dash. I believe that's the only year that Deer made that 4020 with that configuration. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I don't think I've ever had a banker that could tell me that. <laughs> and oh, I said, awesome. well, trust me, uh, there's other areas that I don't have a lot of knowledge in. I'm not, uh, not infinitely wise, but I said that that's something that I have a natural interest in. I imagine that Nebraska guy going to the coffee shop the next week saying, hey, guys, guess what? <laughs> I had a lender out here. He knew my 4020 was a 68. That's awesome. But uh, let's dovetail right now into the – uh, actually, you were just at the Mecham auction out in East Moline, Illinois. Uh, mm-hmm. And by the way, thank you for sending me those videos. Uh, folks, if you watched our YouTube video of that 986, we're talking to the guy who filmed it right here, Alan Hoskins. Thank you for sending that. But what was the vibe like out there? Uh, uh, just curious with the way things are in ag right now, the supply chain issues. Uh, what, what were people, what were they talking about? Well, I, I think if if you look at just the equipment that was there, I mean, the, the 986 generated a lot of interest. Uh, nice Waterloo boy that they had there. I had a D21, Greg, that sold really well. And I know you do a, you do a great job of covering these things for folks. Had an open station 4440 from Little Assist. It was the last year. It was the 82 model. So I, they had a 1206 there that was owned uh, by Rodney Miller hmm. uh, that uh, sold very well also. So, you know, it, it wasn't any one particular color. Everything was selling well. Yeah. I, I would say, Greg, just in talking to people. And there's a couple of vendors there that I know pretty well. And I kind of asked them, Greg, exactly what you just asked me. And the common theme that I heard from the people that I asked the question was there's a feeling of frustration Greg, that they can't do more to help, I would say, have a calming feeling Hmm. and help uh, spread a calming feeling. You know, that, you know, and unfortunately in today's society, there's 
there's a lot of times that you have people that as you were talking about earlier you know, aren't really aren't listening to each other right and i think with farmers particularly i i think that does create a little frustration for them and so i would say that a little you know just concerned about the uncertainty with what we're seeing obviously with the fertilizer price increases right with some of the limited availability of parts uh, the availability of being able to get fertilized next spring. You know, I I think there's just, even with people, and I love to talk to people, Greg, that, you know, when are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, because of the wisdom they have. Right. And, you know, to hear some of those folks say, you know, I've just not seen some of these things before. Right. And, And I think that was kind of a prevailing conversation. Would you say, is there any hint of, introduce a word here, but uh, scared or fear that this thing is might be kind of running away at a pace that, I guess it's it's one of the weird things about agriculture, but when times are good, it's like, uh-oh, times are good. Mm-hmm. And now, I don't think anyone has yeah, maybe seen it to this extent, but would you say, is there any, are you hearing vibes of that or not? not yet? I think, Greg, that that's kind of the undercurrent. And I think the, the words that I'm hearing are concerned, wow, I've not seen this. Yeah. But I, but I think legitimately there is some element of fear because particularly if you look at folks that are in the baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. Many of them saw the transition from their parents or in-laws over to them. Yep. And for the most part, Greg, it went, I won't say it went smooth necessarily mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of those people that are in that age bracket now, they were coming of age in the late 70s, early 80s. Right. And we all know the challenges that agriculture dealt with in that period of time so you have some what i would call very seasoned people because my goodness greg they they truly rode a roller coaster right in that time period and and candidly there were some folks then that they were broke yeah but they just refused to give up yep and i think what they saw happen during that period they were able to work hard in many cases, and were able to right the ship. Kind of grind through it? Yes. And when you look at the dollars we're handling today and you look at just the cost of things, it's a much tighter window than what we saw in agriculture in the 1980s. Yeah, it's fine. I think that's where a lot of the uncertainty comes from because they're seeing these and they're dealing with these huge numbers of cash flow. Right. But we all know at the end of the day, it's the cash from the profits that buys the milk at the grocery store. Right. Yeah, it's so interesting studying the the various cycles in our industry, agriculture over the decades. I mean, I was a seven-year-old kid in 1973, but... 
I've heard stories like from my dad and the farm equipment business and others about guys taking a number to buy a 1066 or a 4430. Um, but maybe what wasn't a part of the deal then was the tightness on the used inventory. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And now it's interesting. I'm just curious, um, again, on the topic of cycles, I guess one of the things I've been – you know, I guess a little con- just concerned about long term because you always try to look long term. And our our interest rates have been so low for so long that if you're a young farmer mm-hmm. and this is all you've ever known, mm-hmm. and maybe if you hadn't, you know, been a guy like you to reach out and ask guys in their 70s or 80s, what was that like with 19% interest? Mm-hmm. Not saying that that's where we're headed, but mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, everything is like it is until it isn't. You know, <laughs> I guess there's opportunity in that, but what as as an ag lender, mm-hmm. uh, what are you seeing in the landscape right now? Let's let's talk about it from a positive standpoint for op- about opportunities. Sure. And let, maybe far, let's talk farm land. You know, American mm-hmm. Farm Mortgage. You mm-hmm. guys, you know, customers all over the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. What are you seeing right now, Al? Well, every land discussion, I think, has to come back to one thing in that the price of land is always local. It's never national. And and what I mean by that, Greg, is that piece of land is selling in that area. It's staying in that area. So it's not as though that you're comparing central Illinois farmland to... Uh, for example, a turmeric farm in Hawaii. Yep. So, you know, I think that's the first thing that has to be considered about land because, you know, you can read stories about land in different parts of the country and what, what it's selling for. But yep. I, I think that's the, the key thing to remember. I think with, if you look at some of the land sales today, and, and I've heard other lenders talking about this and other experts in the field, you still have a lot of active baby boomers that are buying land right now. Mm -hmm. And those folks have been the beneficiaries in many cases of some good years of yields. And they've had a good solid marketing plan. They've been able to build a pretty solid balance sheet and been able to build some working capital. Mm -hmm. the concern, candidly, that I have at times when I've when I hear that story is, what's the transition plan for that farm? So mm-hmm. how do we make sure that as it transitions over, that farm continues to be that family farm? Right. Because you know there are cases where when it's going to the next generation, you may have one family member, a son or a daughter that's operating the land that you have maybe another son or daughter that is away from here that they just want their part. And that next generation, you know, Greg, I I heard someone say this one day and I I think there's a lot of validity to it on on the whole. We're probably looking at the first generation that we've seen that won't be able to truly buy out mom and dad. Because if you look at what the value of land has become, 
And if mom and dad are going to pay, be paid market price. And again, when I make that statement, Greg, I'm assuming mom and dad are going to sell the land right. in its entirety right. and they're right. going to sell it at market value. Right. I mean, obviously they can discount it. Yeah. But again, where you have multiple kids, you have to factor in what's the yep. fair thing to do. Yep. So I, I think there's some challenges there in how do we make sure this land transitions over. Right. But I think, Greg, that there's that's one of the reasons we're seeing land continue to be a very hot commodity. For sure. And I, I know that probably every one of your listeners that will hear this podcast, they're going to be able to shake their head and nod their head and say, yeah, you know, I had a case of a neighboring farm. Mm-hmm. So it was maybe 20, 25% higher than a farm that sold a mile away this time last year. So we're seeing that. I would say, Greg, and I I classify myself as an optimist, even with all the challenges we're facing, Greg, there's still some really, really positive things out there. There There's some young people that have come back to farming in many cases that they're bringing some great ideas in maybe how to have value-added crops. They're looking at alternatives of, for example, they may have a business where they fly drones and do recording. Uh, They may have another agribusiness type entity. I think we're seeing the generation that we're seeing come back into farming today, Greg, they've got some fantastic ideas. Hmm. And the other thing that I really see as a positive, I'm seeing and hearing stories of a lot of moms and dads that are respecting those thoughts and ideas. Now, they're, they're kind of like they're doing similar to what you know my parents did with me yep. in the respect of you know, they're, they're having good conversations with them and not just going along. But they're realizing that agriculture in 2021 is not agriculture in 1981. Right. And Which, so I think that's a really positive thing that we're seeing happen today. I, I agree with you. The creativity that's being brought back to the farm is uh, something to be very positive about. And boy, I, that life lesson from your from your from your dad there that uh, freedom to fail. Mm-hmm. As I've got older, I'm chasing you, Alan. I'm 55, so. But as I, it seems like once I got past 50, it's like a light bulb kind of went on, and it's like failure is too valuable to waste. Yes. Because of what we can just, I mean, if our eyes are shut to it, you know, mm-hmm. maybe from a protective standpoint, like oh, I, you know, we all fail. And we can protect ourselves and not consider it, but that's just wasted opportunity, don't don't you think? Oh, absolutely, it is great. And you know, I can look back at some of my biggest, what I thought at the time were biggest failures. And great, I would argue that they probably have directly led to some of my greatest successes. Yep. No, I'm not not surprised one bit there, Alan. Let me take you back to the young farmer scenario now, because I know that you folks with American Farm Mortgage and and Financial Services there, uh, this is a big piece of who you are, the beginning farm and ranch loans that you offer. 
But then personally, Alan, you'll have to give me the right terminology, but I think you are on, is it the USDA Advisory Committee for Beginning Farmers? I, I was appointed to the National Beginning Farmer and Rancher uh, Committee. Gosh, Greg, I think it's been about three years ago. Okay. Yes. Okay. And, you know, it, it was an honor to me to be allowed to be a part of a group. And, Greg, the, the thing that I think is so great uh, is the group that I'm a part of. You know, you have people that are from the West Coast to the East Coast. There are lenders. There are producers. There are people from sustainable agriculture i mean it's just such everybody in the group rig comes at it from a different perspective mm. and the thing that's so cool with that particular group you have so much diversity mm -hmm. in race and male female in great everybody's so respectful to each other they listen and everybody's ideas are valued and heard mm. and you know our beginning farmers and ranchers they're the lifeblood of right. what's going to drive agriculture right and i think we're incredibly fortunate i had the chance to uh, hear and talk to uh, zag Dushino, the fsa administrator at an event in D.C. a couple weeks back and actually saw him again just today and visited with him today. And, you know, he's, he's got a passion to make sure that farmers are helped and young farmers are helped. And there's some great farm service agency people in the D.C. office as well as in the FSA offices throughout the country. And they understand and really want to make sure that this program gets utilized. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're fortunate as lenders that we're able to help. But, you know, we've – you don't hear this statement often today, Greg, but we've got some great government employees that truly want to make sure this program benefits people. Mm. Well, that's good to hear. And, and you know, I, I don't think our FSA employees get enough credit for what they do to begin. Okay. Well, folks, uh, one thing you should do, check out AmericanFarmMortgage.com, and there's a link on there for Beginning Farm and Ranch Loan Program. Uh, let me let me turn this just a little bit now, Alan. Um, and again, you've been in the egg lending biz for how many years? <laughs> oh, wow, Greg. That's a really good question. Uh, 30 plus. 30, okay, 30 plus. So you've got about in what I've got in building our wacky little machine repeat biz here. So now, let's say we have, and I know we have a lot of young listeners out there, and thank you mm -hmm. folks for listening, but if you're sitting there wondering, and you personally through your family haven't had any exposure to someone in the egg lending business, mm -hmm. Alan, as someone with three plus decades in, president of American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services, what advice would you give to young people considering egg lending as a career? Well, first of all, what I would tell them is if that is your passion and if agriculture is really the thing that you love, ag lending can be an absolute wonderful way to help you fill that need of helping people in the agricultural industry. Okay. I would say, Greg, that 
we need good young egg lenders today. One of the things that I hear, some of the stories I hear from other bankers, is we have, unfortunately, because of what we've seen with farm consolidations in the past 30 years, we just don't have as many young people coming in today that grew up on that farm. Hmm. Now, that doesn't prohibit you from having a passion for agriculture. No. I've got a guy, Greg, that I know is 10 years older than I am. He grew up in town, but he got the agriculture bug when he was in his mid-30s after he got out of the service. Hmm. I don't know that I've ever met a more passionate man about agriculture. Hmm. He loves it. Okay. So it, it, it doesn't mean necessarily that you have to grow up on a farm. But one thing about farmers, I believe farming has its own language. And when you go out to talk to farmers, if you don't speak the language and understand the challenges they're dealing with, then being someone who helps them with finances is going to be a little bit greater challenge. So what I would tell a young person that wants to get into ag lending is make sure that it's something that you have a passion about. Hmm. Interesting. And Greg, there's, there's a lot of folks in positions like mine that have been involved in ag lending for years that one of the things we love is being able to help younger people grow. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I was, I'll tell a little story here. I remember seeing an interview a couple of years ago with Bill Parcells. Okay. And Bill Parcells talked about, he was the coach of the New York Jets at the time. Yeah. And he had a player that had all the talent in the world but he just wasn't producing. And one day, Coach Parcell sat down with his player and he said, young man, he said, do you understand what your biggest problem is? The player looked at him and said, no, sir. And Coach Parcells gave what I thought was just an incredibly wise piece of advice. He said, young man, your biggest problem is I want you to be better more than you want to be better. Hmm. And Greg, that's the thing that I would tell someone coming into ag lending, and we're kind of going full circle here because I'm going to kind of come back where we somewhat started. The ability to sit down and ask someone, tell me about your farm. Right. Or sit down and tell me about one of your management practices. In essence, Greg, what we're saying when we say that is we're saying, you know what? You have knowledge that I don't have. Mm -hmm. I want to learn from you. And having someone say that you want to learn from them, that's giving them a compliment. And that's that's what I would tell a young person coming into ag lending. Just make sure the passion's there. But make sure that you want to really immerse yourself in it and truly be a difference maker in the industry. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, quite a uh, 
kind of a point that's valuable across life, isn't it, Alan? And particularly in business for you, for you young people listening out there, uh, listen to what Alan just said there. If you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know, rather than blow smoke. Um, I totally hear you on that. Uh, you know, the, the radar is up when we go out into farm country and speak in the language. But, boy, super powerful, like, like you just laid out there that, uh, you know, if, tell me about, tell me about your situation and then listen and what can I then own it? What can I do to help you? Also just curious, Alan, uh, in the industry of ag lending now, just get your comments. I think you're actually at the American Bankers Association as we speak here, aren't we? Your convention. Um, yes. The, the ABA is having this national ag lenders conference. Uh, it's in Cincinnati this year, and I'm actually in Cincinnati. You and I are taking. Okay. Well, what I'm just curious. The I don't know if you can answer, but the average age of the egg lender in America, and then part two. I mean, is the industry is it is it hard to get a job? Are are you short of good new candidates? Where are we at right now? Okay. Great questions. And Greg, if, if you had asked me that question five years ago, I would actually have given you a little different answer okay. than I'm going to give you today. Five years ago, I would tell you that when I looked around the room, the vast majority uh, were either folks like myself that just don't have a lot of hair left anymore or ones that did there was a lot of uh, white wisdom that was present as mm -hmm. I look at the groups of people that are here right now Greg one of the things I think is really cool is number one I'm seeing a lot more ladies and I'm seeing a lot more younger folks hmm. cool and I just think that is fascinating and I think it's great for agriculture yeah, definitely. That interesting. Now what what about any concrete steps? If if let's say there's a whether it's a middle school kid that's you know thinking ahead, yeah, I kind of want to be an egg banker, or someone in college or whatever. What, what would be like concrete steps for them as they're moving, say, through college to get into this career? What pieces of advice would you give them, or action points? Well, the action points that I would say would be look for internship opportunities as you go through college because back and I'm, I apologize I didn't answer one of the questions you asked me are there job opportunities oh yes hmm. there are job opportunities okay there's a shortage of new ag lenders would you say yes okay. there's there's a shortage of new ag lenders there's okay. a shortage of ag lenders just in general hmm. but but I would say Greg that make sure that they take advantage of internship opportunities. If is they're growing up, if they don't live on a farm, try to find a farmer that they can work with. You know, farmers for the most part, I think they're like everyone else. They are looking for folks. Yep. And, and granted, the young person probably not going to end up in the uh, combine seat, but there's a lot of wisdom to be gained about being around the farm before you start getting into the combine seat. Right. And I think that goes a long way 
and it, it again it goes back to if, if that young person is genuinely interested i think there's farmers out there that are going to want to give them the opportunity i would also say greg one of the things from an educational perspective most people when you mention the word banker i i think the image that comes to mind is the extremely detailed math oriented person Mm -hmm. I will tell you understanding people is probably the single greatest asset Hmm. a banker can have and you know Greg and I'll give you a couple of examples of that. I had a, uh, this has been about four years ago, had a couple that were in my office and they had gone through some tough times. And they were not our customers. But I'd known this couple and was trying to help them with some things and he had had a meeting one day his wife wasn't able to go with him but he had had a meeting with the bank and when he came home his combine wouldn't start and long story short Greg he was so upset about what had happened in the discussion with the other bank that he actually had a rope up on the back of the combine and said you know why don't I just throw it over this rafter and end this Hmm. now I tell that story because and fortunately I can we can fill up a podcast with some others that understanding people Greg is probably the most valuable asset a banker brings to the table because you know, in the case of that person, there's no right thing to say yeah. when that person says that. Yeah. But just and, to be there and to listen and to... Yes. And care. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the side of ag lending. Uh, and I can also give you stories on the other side of that too, Greg, that, uh, you know, heartwarming stories about things that you've seen people do and by the way the couple that I mentioned they're doing really well today you know they're they're they still have their farm uh, they're not actively operating it but they still have it and so it it wasn't as bad as it seemed hmm. and there's times that is as a banker you know it's I think Greg it's my job to listen I'm not going to have all the answers. And we know that there's a lot of stress in the world. And a lot of stress in today's world. And sometimes it's just, you know, knowing how to listen. And truthfully, if, you know, if you think somebody's really struggling, you know, helping maybe refer them to where they might be able to find some help. But most of the time in my career, I found it's just that person truly needs someone that they can Right. Talk to you. And Greg, I would describe a good a good egg banker is kinda of like a sponge. You know, a sponge takes in water and if it's really good, you pick that sponge up 
and the water stays in the sponge it really doesn't come out yeah and that's what that good egg blender does they give them the opportunity to be honest and know that they can be honest in an environment to where they're not going to hear their words repeated out on the street right well, folks, now you understand why I say there's no one in the egg space I enjoy visiting, visiting more with than my friend Alan Hoskins, president of American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services. Alan, thank you so much for this conversation. I, I, have, I do have to set you up here. Did I, did I see that you're going to be a speaker at the 2022 Top Producer Summit in Nashville in February? Well, I, Greg, I have not seen that yet. I, I oh. spoke at Top Producer in Chicago a couple of years ago, okay. and I, I have not seen that yet. You may, you may be telling me something that I'm not aware hey, of. Yet. I, I apologize, Alan. If that's I was I was doing some googling and 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 around, and I thought I saw my friend Sarah Schaefer with that Top Producer, and I think you you've done some speaking for them before. Absolutely, okay. I have. In fact, uh, I taped a segment for the. 2021 uh, top producers. Okay. I, uh, we were doing that virtually, so oh, right, right. Okay. It, it may very well be the case, Greg, and I just don't know that. <laughs> well, I don't mean to send you to Nashville in mid-February because honestly, I'm hoping to see you in Louisville at the National Farm Machinery Show. Uh, but, Absolutely. But folks, if you uh, if you see the American Farm Mortgage at a farm show or uh, just go to their website, AmericanFarmMortgage.com. Uh, check these folks out. Uh, if you need financing options, uh, they're they're you know the best, some of the best that I work with. And Alan, I can't thank you enough for the conversation and uh, the friendship and just sharing your truths. Uh, you know, words of wisdom. Uh, just been such such a joy to visit with you. Well, Greg, it's, it's truly an honor to be a part of this, and and I want to thank you for what you're doing and have done for so many years for agriculture because you help. People understand that the stories behind the equipment they have, those are really important. And that goes back to that listening thing that we've been talking about a lot today. But, Greg, thanks for what you do for agriculture. You do a fantastic job with it. And it's an honor to be able to call you a friend. And I really appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thanks, Alan. It's been a joy. And uh, I I, believe me, I will have you on again soon. And we will... uh, catch up but more tractor stories to share absolutely well folks i hope you enjoyed my chat with my good friend alan hoskins there president and national director of sales for american farm mortgage and financial services you can tell alan he's just uh he has a good heart he's got farm egg down to the to the molecular dna level cares about farmers cares about his customers his community uh just a good dude and again Great conversation to, to wander off in different directions and talk about life and ways we can apply that to our business, whether it's farming, farm equipment business, lending. Um, I think there's truths there. Um, before we hop off here, folks, I'll just uh, point you to our MachineRepeat.com website. Of course, all the auction prices are free there. We update every day, so if you're wondering what stuff is worth, definitely check it out. I work with 1,100 auction companies to compile that good info. Uh, but we do have our own auction, our Machinery Repeat monthly online auction coming up Tuesday, November 23rd. Absolute sale, no buyer's fees. Um, just go right to MachineryRepeat.com. You'll see the link. Um, it's very prominent right on the homepage, whether you're on your mobile phone or desktop, whatever. Just click it. 
couple highlights. There are some really intriguing pieces here, folks. If you're looking for uh, a smaller class combine, late model, low hours, we got a 2019 Case H 6150, 335 SEP hours on it from Farmer City, Illinois. It's got that vintage look on the Case IH on that 150 series, and it, it just looks like just beautiful. So, again, that's selling absolute. I'll have some more info coming on that uh, combine soon, talking to the seller, so stay tuned for that. But also on our Machine Repeat monthly online auction, there's a 2011 Kenworth T800 from St. Ed, Nebraska. Uh, it's actually from Quality Trucks and Trailers out of St. Edwards, Nebraska. They're a great, great outfit. Uh, now, this 10-year-old Kenworth T800, this thing... 29,121 actual miles on it with the CAT C13 motor. Go check it out, folks, machinerypeat.com. There's a couple other tractors. Our great friends at Midwest Machinery have some quality uh, equipment on the sale. Um, I know we've got equipment from different parts of the country. I think there's a 2012 Anderson Hybrid X bale wrapper for round bales or square bales out of uh, Athens, Tennessee. So just some good equipment. And again, the sale is Tuesday, November 23rd. It's absolute sale, no buyer's fee. Check it out at machinerypeat.com. And until then, folks, uh, I will catch you out at the sales. Mm-hmm.